Season two of At the Table is coming to a close. Season one was mostly getting started, working with a small team, expanding to live events, those were a lot of fun in DC, and talking about politics in a more abstract way, in a way that felt authentic to me, getting to know what that felt like after years of being a reporter, and all of that taking place in what we now know was the middle of the Trump era. And season two was mostly shrinking the team to meet the demands of that moment, fitting this project into a new pattern of life with our son, Pistachio Joe, and a pandemic whose name you already know pretty well. So before I launch the next phase of this project, and I will talk a little bit about that at the end, it's going to be another period of growth for At The Table, and I'm excited about that. I want to take this moment of the calendar to reflect and to pause. Cultures have long understood the value of having a natural pause, whether it's honoring a Sabbath day, creating a 40-hour work week, having feast days. Cultures have long understood the value of having natural pauses in our collective rhythms and intercalary time. Dates that aren't part of the normal organization of the year, as my friend Tristan recently described it. And I've been thinking a lot about how true that has felt for much of this quarantine. We joke about it being March 306th, because for many of us, the isolation has put so much of our lives on hold. It also feels appropriate to talk about this calendar phenomenon now, in our unofficial American Intercalary Week. That time between Christmas and New Year's, a void of work performed and communication returned for many of us, including those of us who have kind of the best version of the pandemic, the easiest version of the pandemic for many of us, which is white collar jobs that can be done at home. So much feels like it's being held in stasis but about to snap into the future one way or the other with the speed of all of this pent-up potential energy. So does the Sisyphean boulder fling up over the hill or run him and really all of us over as it falls back down? Maybe you, like me, see the horizon with some hope. The expectation of a rollout of vaccines for COVID after we've spent most of this year in some form of isolation. But I confess myself, while hopeful, also agonized, seeing the process compromised by incompetence and malice of our political class, congressional and executive Republicans almost exclusively in power, even as the miracle from our scientists has launched the boulder right to the peak of the hill. And for too many of us, this contradiction isn't academic or mythological or even rhetorical. It's death and disability. It's anguish and solitude. It's friends and family gone from our lives or taken from their own. Similarly for me, the anticipation of a Biden administration through this interminable lame duck phase for Trump has proven to be its own intercalary period, one that begs us question the Founder's wisdom for creating a four-month window that wasn't even shortened to two and a half months until the Great Depression. Perhaps this moment 
will once again demand a revision of their wisdom, particularly given the desperate flailing by Donald Trump to overturn the election, to subject us all to the twin dangers of his attempted coup during his mishandled pandemic. As my friend Matt wrote recently, my new year will definitely begin at noon on January 20th. Amid Trump's attempted power grab, there's another pause button in effect. Braces around brackets, around parentheses of pauses, because of the possibility and the looming dread or excitement, pick your flavor, of a flipped Senate based on the results of the Georgia Senate runoff elections in a few days. The two Democrats, Warnock and Ossoff, would give Biden and Harris a governing majority in the Senate if elected over two of the worst Republican incumbents currently serving. So we hold our breath, and we wait, knowing what divided government looks like, obstruction and a sudden feigned concern for spending, when Democrats are once again in the White House, especially in a moment when we can hardly afford another second's delay. And we're already seeing that performative austerity in these second stimulus payment rounds, and that's before we even factor in Trump's willingness to hold the entire process hostage while he was throwing a tantrum in Florida. Something that effectively acknowledged that he still, after four years, doesn't have a clue of what he's doing, except a willingness to upturn everything unless he gets exactly what he wants. Oh, and by the way, he still didn't get what he wanted. Meanwhile, the leadership in our democratic side gerontocracy want to compromise because most of them first came to power when Republicans were still, you know, an actual political party instead of a personality cult. Those of us who can still breathe have the privilege, I suppose, of holding our breath and waiting to see if they come to their senses. So much of our lives are on hold right now. And I've been feeling the, this seesaw of coming to terms with where we've been, stuck on playground equipment that feels defective, all while bracing myself to either fly up in the air or slam my ass down into the dirt. Preparing for both simultaneously has been harrowing. While we're talking about equal chances of liftoff or falling, our son took his first steps just a few days ago but he's still not quite running around full tilt on his own. He'll be a year at the end of January, and I find myself in the interregnum of both Trump to Biden and of my potato baby essentially becoming a tumbling toddler. So much of this last year has been about accepting not having control. I mean, sure, that's what my therapists have been telling me to do for like the last 15 years, but I'm actually starting to hear it lately. I know I can't protect our son from everything. Not from a society that often rewards bigotry and avoids justice. Not from a planet that's warming faster because of selfishness and willful ignorance. Not from a virus that doesn't care how free you think you are, Karen. This is a post office and they require a mask. I try not to focus on my anger in these moments. I think one of the successes I've had in my adulthood taking responsibility for my own feelings and how I make others feel is that I don't often choose to dwell in anger. In that spirit, please forgive me for this next part. For years, I have said that the Trump era has been morally clarifying. 
if you're willing to support an obviously racist and ignorant and in so many other ways unfit man for government at any level, I have no tolerance for you. I have no trust in your judgment. And if you emerge from the Trump presidency without your give a damn meter full, I don't know what it would take for you to get up off the bench. But there's been another similarly disappointing moment with COVID. And it has revealed the selfish and the willfully ignorant for exactly who they are, exactly who they choose every day to be. And that I cannot forgive. Because for every moment where one monster was denying the virus because he was worried it made him look bad, you have landlords refusing to budge and family members trying to guilt and bosses who refused to keep their people safe. Little Trumps, ignoble in their own little fiefdoms, ruining people's lives and just as culpable for the horrific loss and persistent trauma that we are all experiencing. Because make no mistake, Trump is responsible for a huge portion of the death and devastation we've seen in America last year. And congressional Republicans who thought they could enable it on the gamble that it might help them electorally are complicit in every way. But he has been helped, they have been helped every step of the way by people with just as little regard for their fellows. These deaths and society-wide devastation are on everyone who refused to see the facts and make the changes required of us, our inability to sacrifice as a culture, particularly on the political right, but certainly not exclusive, that's its own pathogen, its own infection in our bloodstream. And I hope that future leaders have political courage to examine why other societies got this right and why the U.S. got it so disastrously wrong. Many people spent family Zooms over the last few holiday weeks either having or avoiding hard conversations around these issues. I don't have a solution or even a suggestion for how to do that better. But I know where I am now. And I know what I cannot accept. I will not allow selfishness and ignorance to run my life or to hurt my family. And I will not allow that infection to get to my son. And I will continue to run this conversation, this community, in a way that I can be proud of. So here's my new line in the sand. We've spent so much political and emotional energy trying to understand and appease the Trump political block, the Trump cult. And these last five years have been lost on issues that are urgent and important, like climate crisis, nuclear disarmament, police reform, and that time is just gone. I'm done. I'm not interested in compromise at this time. I hope that the people in my life who love me, love me as much as I've loved them, reaching out and trying to understand and meeting in the so-called middle, and if not, well, don't consider it a stop of our relationship. Just think of it as a pause. And we can put something on the calendar once you return to reality. Once this intercalary period's over and time starts being counted again, time starts actually really happening again, I don't plan on letting anything slide. I plan on starting this year 
the way I mean to finish it. The benefit to saying, I don't have time for the people who aren't going to meet me anywhere in the middle, is that I have a lot more time for the people who really matter, for the friends, for the family, for the found family, for the chosen family, for this community, and to make it count. If there's anything that this last year has taught us, it's that who we choose to spend our time with is so precious. And I'm so grateful that you're spending a little bit of it with me. Since time really has felt artificial in 2020, though, I have to leave you with one lighter moment, I'll say. And this is mostly to make sure that you, as if me venting my spleen wasn't enough, to make sure that you didn't necessarily think that I'm an anywhere decent human being. A few years ago, I convinced a very gullible friend of mine, as the clock struck 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve, that I was on a boat in the Potomac. And since I was east off the East Coast, it was midnight for me, maritime time. Maritime time does not exist, and I am a bad friend. And probably a bad person. Whenever the new year starts for you, I hope you have a happier one. And I hope that you are taking with you everyone and everything that you need, and leaving everything else behind. Thank you for listening and for being part of this community, and in many cases, choosing to contribute to the Patreon. At the Table is going to expand quite a bit in 2021. I'm so excited for our third season. I'm doing air quotes. Thanks to you, this show is going to grow and hopefully include a lot more once we're back into real calendar time. Please visit the Patreon link in this episode if you'd like to consider being a part of that. Give me a shout on Twitter at Jared Rizzi and let me know when the shoes have dropped in your world. Let's pick things up together.